Hello, my name is Chris Summers and welcome to another episode of Dissectable Me. Today we're going to talk about the human skull. Now, is there a more instantly recognisable piece of anatomy than the human skull? But how much do you actually know of its anatomy? Today then, let's talk about some of the very basics. Let's talk about some of the bones of the skull and their functions. We should also explain some of the terms that get thrown around, such as sutures, fontanelles and the new raw visceral Now, fear not, I'm not going to attempt to discuss all the bones in one five-minute podcast. But instead, I'll attempt to introduce some of the initial key concepts that will give you a sound, solid foundation in the anatomy of the skull. Future podcasts will tackle the bones making up the nasal cavity, the oral cavity, and the orbit, and so on. So let's discuss the basics of the anatomy of the human skull. jump right in and let's talk about the functions of the bones of the skull. The function of the human skull is largely to protect the important organs it houses. And the organ the bones are protecting gives us one of the main ways of dividing up the skull into sections. The term neurocranium refers to the section of the skull that surrounds the neurobits, like the brain. Alternatively, we can talk about the bones of the viscerocranium that surround the viscera or organs of the skull, particularly the face. By that, I mean eyes, the nose, the ear, and so on. Now, some of these latter bones are sometimes trickier to initially visualise or identify, and as such, they deserve an individual podcast dedicated to each, taking them time to explore their fantastic shapes and anatomy. Whilst we're on the topic of shapes of the skull, we can introduce one of its other main functions, and that is part of the musculoskeletal system. As such, it also acts to facilitate movement via muscular attachments at various points, and this is a key concept that we'll explore in multiple times in future podcasts. Everywhere a muscle attaches to a bone, it leaves a mark or creates a unique shape, where the muscle is literally pulling on the soft developing bone when we are infants or children. The skull is no different. Bring up an image of a skull, or even better, grab a model if you have one, and look at the unique shapes it has. Can you guess where the key muscle attachment points are? Even if you have no prior knowledge on this, I bet these points stand out to you. They are in part what gives the skull its iconic shape and its appearance. Now the eagle-eyed among you, or rather eagle-eared I guess, would have picked out two glaring statements I've made so far. That is soft bones and repeatedly referencing multiple bones of the skull. Now a concept you may have already been aware of is despite the adult skull appearing as a single unit, your skull has in fact 22 bones that fuse together to give the appearance of one single bone. Or rather, two obvious parts, an articulating lower jaw or mandible, and the rest of the skull proper. At birth, a baby's skull is soft, and the bones are unfused, and this is a vital feature that facilitates the passage of our head through the pelvis. We have a comparatively massive noggin compared to our primate and other vertebrate cousins, so this somewhat compressible skull helps safeguard against problems during labour. Now, during infancy, these still unfused bones of the skull have gaps, and these gaps are known as fontanelles, or more colloquially referred to as soft spots. As the infant grows, these large spaces will close, and this occurs at different times for each individual. But usually by the time the child reaches the first 18 months of life, they no longer exist. Early fusion leads to conditions such as craniosynostosis, where the baby's head develops misshapen. 
Now, despite the large gaps fusing in early life, the smaller spaces between the other bones remain until adulthood. These provide a bit of wiggle room for growth to occur. This happens in a couple of cool ways, but it's slightly out of the context of this podcast, so I'll save that for another time, maybe. As we develop then, 22 bones of the skull eventually close or knit together, but this closure leaves visible marks called sutures. Each suture is individually named, and these names are largely based on the plane in which they divide the skull or the shape and they form. So let's spend a bit of time looking through these. Grab that skull you were looking at earlier. If you find the most anterior suture, we encounter this as being called the coronal suture. This separates the frontal bone of the forehead from the parietal bones more posteriorly. It adorns the skull as the anteriormost suture, as though a mark left by a crown, hence its name corona, or coronal. Between the left and right parietal bones, passing the length of the skull is the sagittal suture, dividing the top of the skull into a sagittal plane, and separating the most posterior located occipital bone and the parietal bones is the lambdoid suture, named as it forms the shape of the Greek letter lambda. Now, many mnemonics in multiple books will have you remember this as the lamb's tail is always posterior on the animal, as is the lambdoid suture posterior on the human skull. So, so far then, we've discussed bones as the superior part of the skull, which is also known as the cranial cap or the calvarium. And most models in the labs have this section transversely to allow a view into the skull. So calvarium is a useful term to know pass me the calvarium or take off the calvarium and look inside. Useful in a lab setting, but something I've never used in my clinical practice, at least not yet anyway. The remaining sutures can be found on the lateral aspect of the skull where the temporal bone articulates with the parietal bones, termed the squamous suture or squamous. Squamous means flat and is a good descriptor for the topography of the skull here. We also introduce the term temporal or tempo meaning time. And it is this area of the head where the passage of time first shows as your hair grows grey. And speaking of time, a buzzer shows we've run out of it. So today we introduced the skull has 22 bones, some of which we named and others I will tackle at another time. We divide these into groups of bones termed the neuro or the viscerocranium, depending on which organs they enclose. We spoke about the spaces between them in infancy called fontanelles and observing how they disappear as we develop and the bones fuse together, leaving behind marks called sutures. The main sutures we mentioned here, but I will leave you find the rest of them. And that is the basics of the skull. I will catch you next time in Dissectable Me. 